I'm Grace. And I'm Amy. And you're listening to our podcast. Yes, good. Where we spend an entire day setting up the optimal conditions for playing some DLC. Speaking of, this week <laughs> we're talking about The Last of Us. <laughs> um, so, for anybody who doesn't know what The Last of Us is, it is a video game that came out in 2013 that is a, a zombie survival game. And the little uh, blurb on the back of the case says, Joel and Ellie, brought together by harsh circumstances, must survive a brutal journey across the U.S. in a dangerous post-pandemic world. Um, And the reason that they go on this journey, which I feel like we should mention just because it's a huge part of the game and we definitely will um, talk about it more in depth, is that Ellie is possibly immune to the zombie virus. And so Joel... uh, kind of accidentally ends up being the only adult with the capabilities or anything to help her get to the people who might be able to make use of her uh, immunity. Yeah. Those people are the fireflies. Yeah. Giant spoilers for this ep- for like this game, which like I feel like if you're ever listening to one of our episodes, that's just the case. But like, yeah. it's a really great game that... Um, is very much worth playing, and we are going to spoil all of it. Yes. We'll spoil this, and the DLC, and anything from the trailers. So basically, any Last of Us content out there, we uh, will spoil. We will discuss in depth. <laughs> um, so, where do you want to start? There's so much to talk about with this game. Hmm. That's a good question. Do you want to start with, like, world building? I was going to ask if you want to go through, like... Because presumably all the elements are going to tie back to, like, the story when we talk about it. So you want to just go through, like, the seasons? Oh, yeah. And we can start with uh, world building of the prologue. Mm-hmm. Well... Because that sets up so much. It does. Um, it was really interesting because I had seen uh, bits of this game and I'd seen some GIFs. Oh, and that's I what knew... we need to do is introduce how we know it. Oh, my gosh, we forgot. Okay, Grace... Context. Well, but you've you've seen you were saying oh. you've seen. Okay, so I'd seen a little bit about this game. Um, I knew it was well loved. I mostly knew of it because Grace has a hit, a longer history with it than I do, um, and so I knew of it. And then I knew because of you about when the DLC came out and all of the like shock, outrage, etc., euphoria of Ellie being gay. And so then that's how I become aware of it in my, like, ooh, queer media kind of way, and then had, like, interest in it. And then I bought a PS4, and I have the capability to play New Age video games and got more excited about it. And we still played it on the PS3. Well, yeah, because you already owned it on the <laughs> PS3. We're gonna play The Last of Us 2 on the PS4. Yeah, okay. Um... Well, okay, it's funny that you say that I have a longer history, because I'm pretty sure we, like, found out about this game at the same time. Did you find out about it because of the DLC and no, finding out that Ellie was gay? Or? I found it out because of the part two trailer. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, no, that. Wait, which trailer? The initial one. So, uh, when well, well, they Which one's the initial one? The guitar. Okay. When they announced... Oh, God, I think. Um, yeah, that's right. They announced that The Last of Us Part Two was happening. And that trailer came out, and it had everything I want out of a trailer, which is pretty graphics, badass-looking women, good music, preferably sung by badass women, and, like, crazy fan reactions. <laughs> and both of us kind of, like, noticed that trailer, because we were vaguely paying attention to video games at the time when it came out. I don't think I would have been aware of it if you hadn't shown it to me. Okay, I couldn't remember, like, who found it first or whatever. But... Definitely you. Okay. Well, yeah, so that happened, and I was like, this looks pretty cool, and I watched a Let's Play of it on YouTube, and it was great, and I cried, and then I found out there was DLC, and I watched a Let's Play of that. When did the DLC actually come out for this game? Uh, let's look it up. February 14th, 2014. Yeah, so I heard there was DLC, and I was like, well, gotta go watch that. And so I watched a playthrough of that, and Ellie was gay, which made me love it even more. And um, since then, I've watched the Let's Play of it twice. Um, My brother bought me the game on the PS3 for Christmas, which is great, because I never would have bought it for myself, because I would have been too scared to play. 
And then I waited almost an entire year before I sat down with Amy and played through it. Mm-hmm. That's that. <laughs> um, so the way that we played it, which I feel like should be part of our context here, is that mm-hmm. we always consumed it together. Grace was the one physically holding the controller and playing. I was the uh, emotional support and observer slash occasionally fall asleeper because I fall asleep <laughs> watching shit too much. In um, Amy's defense, I would spend a lot of time scouring every <laughs> boring corner of the world because I needed all the supplies I could get. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we went through, like, every bit of this game, which, what is the, like, approximate time that people say this game takes? Um, about 15 hours, I think. And um, it took us, like two or three hours to beat the DLC. Um, so we played it all together, um, me as an observer, Grace as the person who was hitting the buttons. Um, <laughs> it was very interesting because I'd never seen any of the prologue. So I'd seen Joel when he was much older, mm-hmm. and that was the recognizable character to me. And so starting off, I didn't even realize that the man that I was watching at the beginning was <laughs> Joel. Like, I thought, like, is that him? But I wasn't sure because he looked so much younger because he is younger. Um, and I also was like, that's not Ellie, though, but that's a girl who's mm-hmm. Ellie's age. And I was very confused prologue, at first. I don't know if they, like, planned to do this. I'm guessing they did because all of the marketing would have been Joel and Ellie, like, in-game. The prologue's really great because everyone I've ever talked to, it throws them for a loop because they're like, wait, is that the guy? That's definitely not the girl. Is it the girl? What's going on? And you're like, who are these nonsense people who are definitely not going to be in the rest of the game? And you get attached anyway because Naughty Dog's just good at that. Because parent-child relationships tug on people's heartstrings. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing about the prologue, which is some fun facts I learned from the miles upon, or miles, <laughs> the hours upon hours of video essays I have already watched about The Last of Us, um, is that initially they were going to go straight from the prologue into the first season. Um, but people ha- were having such a hard time processing the Joel's daughter dying um, that putting them straight into uh, gameplay of the first season was, like, not working. People were still, like, reeling from the death, mm-hmm. and so then they weren't absorbing the amount of information they needed to in starting the game. It's like you're learning controls and you're getting a sense of the world post-apocalypse and all of that. Right. And people weren't absorbing that. So that's where they decided to put their credits. Um, so now credits roll for a couple minutes before you go back into gameplay and you process what just happened, which is so good. Yeah, and that's something, like, this game, like, playing it through again, it's a little strangely paced because I remember, like, we beat the first chapter and I was like, that lasted a lot longer than I thought it would. Chapter but- one drags. It's the entire first half of the game. Yeah. so much happens in it. Throughout the entire game, they do that really well, where they give you these huge, emotional, tense, devastating moments, and then they give you a minute to breathe, and then the next time you're playing, you're doing something slow, and you're walking in a new environment, and you're just supposed to kind of, like, take it in and talk a little bit to Ellie, and, like, breathe for a minute before you jump back into the action. Mm-hmm. Like, they take such good care of you and your emotions for being such a devastating game. And I think that's because they went into this game, it seems, wanting to make, um, like, lovable characters that you would grow attached to. So it wasn't just about the gameplay of, like, oh, shoot zombies, fight the gangs. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was we want you to have an emotional attachment to these characters, like love them how we love them as their creators. And so in recognizing that people could become that attached to the characters, they also had to recognize that you were going to react to what they put the characters through very viscerally. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do. (laughs) I think it's also interesting because this is, um, at least of like the Naughty Dog games I have played, this is the least playful out of all of them Mm because Uncharted has the hard-hitting emotional moments and definitely has the action to go with it but Nathan Drake is such a like not really playboy kind of guy because he's actually very sweet to his wife most of the time um but like Nathan Drake's a very playful kind of charming roguish kind of guy whereas Joel is like 
20 years hardened, gonna kill people and pop their kneecaps off kind of guy. The thing is, though, I feel like we see him before he becomes that person and see him go through the loss before he becomes that person. Mm-hmm. And so that humanizes him despite the fact that he is, like, a very violent yeah. person. Um, and then also we see that he has, like, this giant weak spot. So he's, like, soft with very hard exterior. My point was more along the lines of, like, it's really cool that Naughty Dog realized they had to take that time and care, whereas even, like, their most action-packed series up until this point didn't have to do that because, like, that's a story-driven game that has really intense, like, action sequences, but they still don't have to do that because it's a completely different tone. So it's really Mm -hmm. cool that, like, doing this story... They it, it just feels so different from Uncharted in that way, and that's really interesting coming from the same studio. I think part of that might have been, too, that, to the best of my knowledge, not being somebody who's played Uncharted games, um, you don't have any children main characters. And I feel like that brings a whole new realm to a game, because like mm-hmm. people talk about God of War right now so much, and how it's so different from the previous God of War games, and a large part of that is because he has a kid in it. Yeah. And so, it's like, once you bring a kid into the picture, it's kind of like the dog effect, where you're just like, no, you can't touch that character. You can't do anything to that character. You can't harm that character. Mm -hmm. Um, They become the line that the viewer is not willing for you to cross. You can still cross it. Because I feel like they do with Ellie. Oh, yeah. Like, she's in harm's way all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, But it's kind of like, that's where the line is. Everyone feels protective of Ellie, so they understand... Joel's feelings in the situation because even before Joel understands them yes because he's so protective of her and you feel that from the get-go because you're like there's a 14 year old girl in a zombie apocalypse and we're getting rushed by zombies fuck the zombies and also she looks 12 not 14 yeah and so um they put you in a position where you feel exactly how Joel does I mean, as much as you can as a person not living in a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they made that, like, untouchableness of, like, a character who shall not be harmed, but put, gave you controls to be, like, button smash, she shall not be harmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they let you be in control of that. That's how it um, happens, too. I feel like my aim was, like, the absolute worst whenever someone would have the little, like, symbol flashing above them saying that they were in danger and I had a limited amount of time to save them. Like, my aim wasn't great to begin with, but if that happened, I would most likely lose them at least once. Yeah, because, like, panic. Because mm. <laughs> um, I think something that this date game does really well, too, is putting you in, like, the immersion I was about to explain what immersion was. Like, Amy, just find the word. Mm-hmm. It, uh, the immersion's really good, because something that I noted off the bat in Chapter 1 was how aware this game is of the, a sense of camera. Um, because, like, water hits it. Blood hits yeah. it. All of that. Um, and that brings you into the game a little bit more. Like, it's awareness of your viewership. Like, this fourth wall. Because, like, the characters don't break the fourth wall, but the creators break the fourth wall. Right. Um, and that's really interesting. And also the way that it has you interact in cutscenes with quick time events um, is really, really good. And so it gives you this really interesting immersion into the game because it's so aware of keeping you engaged and keeping you, um, feeling the, uh, like the emotions of every situation because Mm -hmm. you have to react to them or you have to be made aware of them, um, more intensely than other games. And that's such a, that one is a Naughty Dog thing because that's one of my favorite parts of the Uncharted games is like it goes like if you didn't have the controller you would not always know when it's cutscene and when it's you're moving because um, it just flows so beautifully in between like oh you're the person who jumped there but the scrambling up the little like thing that's falling down that's a cutscene oh but wait you're now in control again like it just goes so perfectly in and out and it feels so satisfying to be part of that and it's kind of like like I've heard them described so many times as like roller coaster kind of games where you're just sort of hanging on. There's you're no, along for the ride. Yeah, it's not open ended or open world. Um, you don't change the outcome in any way unless you like keep getting game overs and then you rage quit. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's literally just for the experience of playing it. It's 
as close to a movie as video games get without being, like, horribly boring. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I enjoy, like, having come off of Red Dead before, well, during and before playing this game. They overlapped a little bit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a similar feeling of immersion into the cutscenes, because you can control the character in some of the cutscenes in Red Dead. Right. Like, you are affecting where he's walking, but not just, like, how he, you're just not in charge of how he's reacting situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is so different overall because you are just along for the ride versus Red Dead where literally all everything you do in the world affects the ending you end up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love both, but in a certain way, I feel like being along for the ride, um, it like immerse, it's like your brain forgets more so about the real world. Because yeah. you are watching a movie you happen to be in control of instead of having to make, like, logical decisions. Mm-hmm. Which then I will counter by saying you can play this game aggressive or stealth. So you are making a lot of decisions. Right. But not in the same way where, like, they directly affect what's going to happen to these characters in the long run. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of different where you're like, okay, I get through this scene and I get to find out what happens next. Rather than I go through this event... Um, And then, like, I'll see, like, if I get good moral points for it or not. Like, it's a different um, system that's propelling you forwards. Because I feel like The Last of Us is so much more of, I need to get the characters through this part. And you know that, like, the outcome's the same no matter what. Yeah, there's a lot less opportunity for... um accidentally metagaming because I know that's a problem I have with Red Dead and I had it with when I was playing um Life is Strange also like you're not sure how much you can affect things yeah or like being like I know if I do x then it's gonna affect this this way so like so like with Red Dead it'll be like I come across someone who's just like a little bit of a jerk not enough that the game's like oh if you kill him you'll get good cowboy points for it but I'm like wow he was a little bit of a jerk I'm gonna kill him and then I stop because like no that's gonna affect my honor and I want my honor to be the best it can possibly be by the time I reach, like, the end game point. Like, that kind of thing. Whereas, like, if I was actually fully in the game and role-playing it, Arthur would have just fucking shot him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of thing. And I did that with Life is Strange, too. Being like, if I say this, how is that going to affect my relationship with this person later on? And how is that going to affect the choices I make? And the way that the ending plays out and where everyone is at the end of the day? That kind of thing. Whereas in The Last of Us... If I'm like, oh, well, if I stealth or if I go charging in, I never go charging in. It's way too scary. Um, But no matter what, it's going to end with Mm -hmm. a room full of dead enemies and moving on to the next bit. And it doesn't matter what I think of it. It's still... And because of the futility of the situation the world is in in the game and the fact that you are playing the game as a military academy uh, trained girl and a guy who used to run in a gang and has no qualms with hurting people or killing people, <laughs> any worst-case scenario that you decide to play out where you, like, brutally kill people or don't or, like, whatever, but, like, the worst that you can make it, the characters will still approve of because of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, when we were playing the DLC and you were like, okay, but, like, do I throw a brick so that the gang encounters the zombies and the zombies take out the gang? Is that mean? And I'm like, no, do it. And you did it, and Ellie vocally approved of it. And she was like, yeah, get the fuckers. And so, like, it's like whatever you can do that you feel like is a bad thing to do isn't bad in The Last of Us, because the characters are already having to do those things purely because of the world they're in. Right. Like, to play it nicely is pulling them back from what is natural in that world. Mm -hmm. Um, because and it's, it's also not gonna, dog. It's also not going to do anything. Like, I can come yeah. up and, mer- like, stealth kill everyone so they don't feel anything. They don't, they're never afraid of me or anything like that. They and don't feel they, anything because they, like, gurgle while they well, die. But it's not like I shot them in the leg and they're, like, stumbling around for a while. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, like, it's still going to get, like, the same, Ellie's still going to, like, jump off them and be like, ah, oh, motherfucker, or whatever. Like, nothing is going to change whatsoever doing right. that. 
I feel like it just does a good job of not making you feel guilty for yeah. how you choose to get, oh, play yeah. the game because... They want you to be brutal. Yeah, they do. Except they for really apparently do. in the new one, they're like, here's a dog. If you kill it, its owner will cry. Yeah. <laughs> so the dogs don't want you to be brutal. Out. I'm so not ready. I'm not ready to play the second one at all. Like, I'm already planning on taking the whole day off work and playing it for a solid weekend. But I'm not ready. I'm gonna, it's gonna be bad. I'm so nervous. I oh, really want to, like, play it like I have the controller, um, but I'm nervous. Because, like, I panic in these kind of games. Like, I remember when I played the first Halo, and I just, like, screamed <laughs> a lot? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did, too, to be fair. Well, you saw me playing this. It was so slow. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is that this game isn't that scary as an observer, like, the pop-outs don't scare me when I don't have the controls because I don't have to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, the the moments that have high tension that are supposed to cause you anxiety still did that to me, David. But, um, like, I didn't feel the stress of, like, oh, shoot, the zombie, shoot the zombie before it reaches me. Like, yeah. I didn't feel that stress because I didn't have the controller. Yeah. And it was so, they do a really good job of, like, at least for me, like, my biggest source of fear was, like, something was going to happen to the characters. Because logically, mm-hmm. I was like, it'll be easier if I just run in and shoot everyone, get a feeling for where everyone is, mm-hmm. and then my next, like, when I'm, like, pop back up again, I'll know where all of them are and have a better game plan. Like, right now, I don't know where they're going to pop out at me, so I should just run in. And I still could never, ever, how many times was like, I should just run in and see what happens. And you never did. And I never <laughs> did, because, like... The cutscene, and it's basically the same one every time, but the cutscene you get when either Joel or Ellie dies is horrible. Well, that's what I was going to bring up next, is that this game has so many cool animations that are built in. So there's, yeah, the ways that they die, um, and they are bad. Like, you are being punished for letting them die. Oh, and the sound design is so bad, too, because you can hear them screaming, and you get the, like, the, like, pitch, like, amplifies and gets higher pitch, and you get that kind of whining thing going on. Mm -hmm. Um, but then what also this game does really well with the, like, it's in that same realm of, like, uh, creation and, like, stuff to me is... How there's, like, the different animations that it seems to randomize through and also based on what is near you of, like, how you take somebody out. Because mm-hmm. if you're meleeing, there's so many options for, like, what Joel does. Because mm-hmm. there's the, like, stomp on their face and there's the, like, slam their face into, like, the nearest crate. Yeah. And it must depend on, like, how close you are to items in the world. But um, that's so cool where it's, like, you aren't directly affecting which one of those animations you get because you're just meleeing. But um, it randomizes through them somehow. Um, And those are brutal as well, but, like, not to you at least. Um, But those are so interesting to me. Um, Because I remember the first time that he stomped on someone's face, I, like, felt it. Yeah. Because I wasn't expecting that it was going to do something like that. Because in my head, when you're playing a video game, like, you determine like how the people die and so usually like if you're pressing the punch button they switch off between right and left hooks so like you're you've never been in control in that way in a video game where you're like picking which arm they're swinging with but usually there's not like well if you hit the melee button this many times you just stomps on their face by chance well but that's always that's always like i've grabbed them and like done a quick kill that's like right. the loud like version still, of strangling them right like you still know what you're initiating in some way, but you don't always know exactly, like, how he's going to end right. them. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of catches you by surprise, which I really like. Because, mm-hmm. too, sometimes you're, like, not even aware that you're that close to an object, and then because you're meleeing and you're doing the loud option, he just slams their face into something, and right. you're like, I didn't even realize that was right there. And you're not prepared, and it, like, exposes you to the brutality more. Um, which is so interesting. They do scrappy combat in this game really well, because that's, mm-hmm. like, basically Ellie's whole MO, also. Um, because, and and I'm so excited to have her be the main playable character in the second game, because her movement and her combat in this one is so good, and she moves so, like, you really feel the difference between Joel and Ellie, and she's scrappy, and she's quick, and she's bites people's arms when they grab her to get away, and she jumps on them so she can, like, land her knife in their collarbone, because that's, like, the only way she can reach it, because she's tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, oh, it's just, it's so well 
well done. This reminds me so much of the different fighting styles you can observe between all the Avengers, where mm-hmm. they did a really good job of choreographing each of their fighting styles to, like, make sense for who they are, where, like, Natasha strangles people with her thighs. Because, like, that is a huge muscle. And so when she's trying to strangle, like, military men, you know, that's, like, what she has to use. Or, like, Steve fights in a way that kind of shows that he began his combat training when he was still really small. Mm -hmm. Um, And just stuff like that. And it's, like, they're so aware of the difference between Joel and Ellie, not just in, like, Joel ran with a gang, Emily went to mili- or Emily. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> Ellie went to a military academy, but also that, like, she is small, she is not as strong as the gang members she's going up against, um, and she has to have her different animations to show how she is able to take out these people using yeah. her own skills. And even, like, even just the weapons they have, because, like, I love playing as Ellie in uh, this game because her knife never breaks, and Joel, you shiv someone once, and it's like, well, gotta go collect some broken scissors so I can make another shiv, and it's so frustrating. But Ellie, like, they knew that she had other disadvantages on a purely, like, gameplay level, and so, like, her knife never breaks, which also makes sense that, like, she got it probably when she was in the military academy. Um, and stuff like the hunting rifle that she gets is a one-hit kill, mm-hmm. um, rather than Joel's, which is absolutely crappy, because after, I remember after I played that bit, I was like, oh, maybe I should be using the hunting rifle more, and so with Joel, I tried to shoot something, and I was like, just kidding, this is horrible, because mm-hmm. I can't get headshots, guys, don't ask that of me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, on, they develop her so well, so that she, you, it's familiar, it's all the same mechanics, and yet it feels entirely new. Um, and they set that up story-wise to be really good, because it's, it's an entirely new setting, and you're doing something, you're hunting, which is not something you do anywhere else in the game. It just feels so different when you take control of Ellie. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this game does a really good job of, like, the problem-solving, the puzzle-solving, like, all of that, and the way it's integrated into the plot works really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like that hunting part is one to give you a breather after watching Joel get hit through with, uh, the steel. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Um, but also it does this really great job of giving you like, okay, like Ellie needs food. She's really hungry and like, you don't know what's happened to Joel, but you're kind of assuming that like she is taking care of him or something like that. And it's like, she needs this deer. And so you're able to go through the sequence of kind of stalking it, which gives you the calm after the storm that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that deer also gives you the segue into the next great, and in my opinion, the greatest conflict of the game, which oh, is yeah. David. Yeah. And so um, they just do such a great job of integrating these things one into another. Because I feel like so often with story creation, it's hard to think of things that give you that good of a segue. It would be like, here's the calm moment that we need to give you and Ellie after the big scene that you just went through. And then the segue into meeting David would be a, a plot point outside of the deer and like mm-hmm. something else. But they did a, such a good job where like those things are together. Yeah. And so what you view as something that is like this little small side task opens up the next can of worms right Um, and even like within the once the conflict starts it still walks you through really slowly because it's like and you're basically reading ellie's mood the entire time too because you could be like i feel like you could be panicking so much more about joel than we are but since she's calm while she's hunting you're also put into a sense of calm Mm -hmm. um and when she meets david and whatever his friend is like you're on edge, but you're not freaking out yet. And you have another character with you helping you through that battle. So, like, even it helps there. And then things start to get unsettling. And then from there, it's like, that's when things start, like, it, it, things get unsettling, and then you get your escape. And then you have to lead them away, and that's when things get tense again. Like, it, it keeps building up on itself. So it's not even mm. like, you've had your combat, now we're going to throw you in. Mm. Well, it does such a good job of, like, take a breath. And then we're going to heighten it. And then take a breath, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to heighten it. It, like, never lets you get back down to total calmness, but it lets you, like, breathe for a second and then spikes again. It also... Um, It's a good rhythm for the game. Yeah. Like, they're so good at pacing and rhythm after chapter one. 
And also does a really good job of letting you know when you're allowed to take a breath. Because for a survival horror game, like, I know, and, like, even though I know, like, even on, like, a development level, on a software level, what when it was telling me that I could be calm, I still never fully trusted it. But right. they do things you like... You can tell when you've got plot armor. You really can. Yeah, I mean, you can tell when you've got plot armor, but even if you're, like, wandering around in a room, like, someone will say something if you killed the last enemy, and if mm-hmm. you're playing as Joel, Ellie, and whoever else is with you will stand up and start wandering around, and, like, you're like, okay, they don't hear anything. Like, they do such a good, like, in-game explanation of, you're okay for now. You can make some noise. You can do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the AI on that is just really brilliant and useful in that way. And I love when games do AI, AI, AI successfully. Yeah, because I think that, although there's some glitchiness with Ellie where she'll, like, be in your way sometimes, <laughs> um, for the most part, the way that she kind of follows along with you and explores on her own while also not abandoning you, but also kind of, like, letting it act as a natural hint as to where you're supposed to go next mm-hmm. is really well done. Um, because, especially with the way this game is, where it's supposed to feel like there's an entire world, but they have to direct you down one path. Right. I feel like there's, a, just with that concept, there's a lot of potential for frustration because you're like, where am I supposed to go, though? Like, where's the opening? And a lot of times, uh, Ellie is really good at, like, helping you along so that it's not obvious but you're not getting frustrated at any points um because I definitely know that I haven't played a game that was quite uh designed like this before because I've always played there's a whole open world or um it's just like one path and so I'd never seen a game that tried to give you such a sense of open world without actually giving it to you, mm-hmm. and it's done really well. Because you don't feel confined either. Like, it gives you enough yeah. to explore that you feel like you're experiencing the world. Well, and even her AI helps with that, because there's so many, like, little optional conversations that if you're just paying attention to Ellie, you'll find. Because it's like, you'll be put into this open area, and she doesn't run straight to your objective. She wanders around and looks at this thing while you're looking for supplies, and she comes over to a place where you can, like, have a conversation, and she asks a question, or, uh, one of my favorite moments in the game, she, like, makes weird blowing noises, and you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, I'm trying to learn how to whistle. (laughs) Um, so it's like, she's doing these things that kind of, like, if you are invested at all in her character, you're going to want to stop and kind of pay attention to where she is, and she will take her time getting to the next objective, Mm. which is really cool, because it's such... Like, this game does environmental storytelling and, like, non, non-vital, non like, cutscene storytelling so well. And her AI is such a huge part of that. Definitely. And I love, too, the fact that, like, you can experience, quote, the whole story. Like, you can get all the main plot points without having to constantly keep track of where Ellie is. But also, if you keep track of where she is, you are privy to so many cool moments and conversations mm-hmm. that you don't have to notice, but are definitely beneficial to notice. Yeah. Because um, you spend a lot of your time playing the game being like, I know that there's a conversation with Ellie coming up because mm-hmm. I have watched a walkthrough, and so, like, I want to get that conversation. Yeah. Well, um, it's and stuff th- like... they reward you a lot because it's so much fleshing out of the story yeah. and characters. Like, and you learn so much. It's really good... They do a really good of using that to reflect on a really good job, wow, of using that to reflect on things that have happened. So, like, after Tess dies at the beginning of chapter one, there's an optional cutscene where, like, you can you can completely miss it. And I've seen people miss it, too, and Ellie is like, hey, Joel, can I talk to you? And if you don't go over to her or you just miss it, she's just kind of like, okay, guess not. But that's her, like, apologizing because she feels guilty about Tess. And I think that's one of the first times Joel really does warm to her, Mm -hmm. like, reluctantly. Um, And stuff like after the whole thing with Sam and Henry, like, she will want to talk about it and you shut it down. But you get that thing where, like, she's trying. Uh, And it's just stuff like that where she, like, wants to reflect on things that have happened. Along with stuff like she, like, makes fun of a movie poster you find and uh, things like that. So, like, there's so much that's, like, her personality, but so much that's just kind of, like, still addressing the story and Mm -hmm. fleshing that out more. Well, and if you're... If you're tuned into these characters, you learn a lot about the world through them. Mm -hmm. So it's not only just what you observe on your own, if you spend time exploring, like, Ish's notes. Like, that adds so much to the story, in my opinion. 
if you find those. And also even in the DLC, all of the stuff that the um, the, the people from the helicopter, yeah, yeah, the military helicopter people, everything that they've left um, is really, really good. But also, if you spend time, like, talking to Ellie, you get such a weird look at what, like, a kid born after the outbreak began, mm-hmm. like, how that's affected her life and her perception of the world. Um, and if you pay attention to Joel throughout this and his like responses to a lot of the optional things that you can encounter with Ellie um it really gives you a peek into like him and how he is feeling in all these moments because for the most part he's pretty stoic I think um and so if you aren't paying attention to like the way he responds to Ellie then you kind of miss a lot of his internal conflict um because I feel like there is the potential for people to get to the scene where he is trying to get Tommy to take her the rest of the way and not get why he wants Tommy to take her the rest of the way. Like, you could potentially misread that first conversation and only realize what's going on once they get back. And there's the whole thing where she, after she's gone to the house. See, I actually think of it as kind of the opposite. Where, like, if you don't do all those optional things, you're gonna get there. Or, like... Because we did all those optional things, and maybe also because I knew the story, but by doing all those optional conversations and having Joel and Ellie bond more that way, by the time you get to the dam, you're thinking that, like, you're not, you've kind of forgotten the fact that Joel's so reluctant about this, and so when he tries to pass her off, you're like, well, what the fuck did I hang around Ellie for 20 minutes earlier waiting to press triangle? What was that for? (laughs) Um, Which might just be me being Joel, I wasted 20 minutes on triangle, what are you doing? (laughs) That might just be me being like, wow, I love Ellie, why would you ever? Mm-hmm. But um, I think by doing those optional, like, if you miss those optional conversations, it would make a lot more sense because you don't see as much of their relationship developing. So, like, mm-hmm. when you get to that point, you're like, oh, yeah, Jill still doesn't really like her. That makes sense. Oh, that's so interesting because I feel like I think that it's missable because I've watched enough things with, like, subtle uh, cues like that that are based on, like, body language and what's not being said Mm -hmm. and watched other people miss it entirely that, um, I'm like, oh, it could be too subtle for some people. Um, because it's like, usually I'm gonna pick up on that stuff because I know in my own writing that I put that kind of stuff in of, like, the very subtle body language or the things that aren't said or, like, the way that a character chooses not to answer a question and I'm like, I hope that somebody picks up what I'm putting down. Um, and so, like, I recognize it, but I've seen enough people miss that kind of stuff entirely, it just flies right over their head, that I'm like, you could fail to recognize until the game really forces it in your face. Mm -hmm. I also do love how, like, this game does such a good job of not being repetitive. It's like, in a world where it's like, you're either gonna get killed by zombies or gangs, there's so much that isn't about zombies and gangs. They do a really, I really feel like this is kind of like a masterclass of zombie media. Not that I've watched a shit ton of zombie media, but like, there's the whole thing that like humans are the real monsters here. We all know that by now. Like everyone does that. Um, but there's, there's stuff and, and stuff how like the military is going to go crazy and bad and like they play on those tropes, but then they also have like really fresh themes. Like I don't think I've ever seen one where it's like what is it like being a kid who's never known anything else? Mm -hmm. And, like, uh, what happens if you're a smuggler who's just living his normal life, moving in and out of the wall, and, like, you've got it kind of good? And and what are you going to do when you want to have a normal society and you're booting up a hydroelectric dam? Like, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like, they do so many... They take the time to explore so many different options and ideas. Well, and The Last of Us 2 looks like they're going to get even more into that, because as more time has passed in this world, like, society has continued to develop more and more around the zombies, Mm -hmm. and so it looks like you're going to be fighting some kind of cult, which I'd be willing to bet is a cult that has formed only after the apocalypse. What if they worship zombies? Who knows? Maybe they do. I've seen that a couple of times in different games, and that would be really interesting. I always think that's really mm-hmm. interesting to play out. So, the trailer that is the unknown woman who's about to be sacrificed and then fights them off and is the two kids, one of the kids says something where they're like, the demons are coming, and then, like, a little bit later you realize, because you hear the clicking, that it is clickers. Ooh. And so, 
those kids seem like they are kids from the cult who aren't, like, totally believing. Um, and so they call them the demons. But it also makes me think that the cult thinks that the demons are, like, what is being, like, that's, like, the wrath. Yeah. Where it's, like, you deserve this because you haven't done something right, so then they're sacrificing the people in an attempt to make things right. Like, appease the demons, give them food. Um, it's something like that, Ooh. I think. That'd be I'm, my bet. I am always down for a good, like, creepy, horrible cult in video games. I don't know why I like that trope so much, but I really enjoy it. Um, but, yeah. And the idea, too, of, like, in this world a cult would form is not far-fetched at all. No. And so it feels kind of almost like a natural progression because David's group was a little culty already. Where it seemed yeah. like he was kind of some sort of untouchable leader. I think, yeah, I think I wouldn't call the group a cult, but he was definitely a cult there leader. There was some They vibes. were on that verge. Yeah. And especially with the idea of, like, how much violence they're doing because mm-hmm. they are turning to cannibalism. Um, and that does not seem to be something that the other people aren't okay with. It's not like he's forcing them. Well, there are... You can hear some of the NPCs, like, in the last bit in the blizzard, talking about how, like, which, granted, most of them are like, she's fucking infected, what are we doing here, we need to get out and help the women and children get out, like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can hear some of them being like, once we're done with this, we're calling a town meeting, like, he's gone too far this time. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, he's gone too far this time, rather than, like, the months beforehand, presumably, that they've been hunting and eating people yeah well and the other thing not to like make this a very very uncomfortable podcast is that we're talking about the last of us it's gonna go there (laughs) it seems to be very insinuated that there has been like girls before ellie Oh yeah, so, like, they definitely imply David's that. a giant pedophile. Yeah, that is leading a cult, and they are all like letting that slide. Like nobody's being like, oh, should we not listen to the pedophile and also maybe save the girls that he's like, yeah, calling his pets. I think it'd be terrifying. really interesting to like, like if there had been other story DLC for this game, I think it would be cool to have one of them be like, not cool, it would have been horrifying. But if one of them was like a kid or a young adult in that group when David was coming to power, um, and, like, when he became leader and how, th- and, like, you're trying you're to help someone You're a kid who tries out. to rebel or something. Yeah, and, like, maybe, like, you help, like, a- another kidnapped girl, like, get out and both of you, like, leave and that's the kind of thing and then it's kind of, like, what happens to and them And then they fall they in love and they're the- gay? Yeah! <laughs> um, and it's, like, what happens to them as they, like, they do manage to escape but then it's, like, what happens in this world? Um, but yeah, also I think... trying to survive in like a mountainous cold region as like two kids. Yeah. Um, cause I was thinking about that with the DLC with Riley and Ellie where their plan is to like run away together and because they're military trained kids, they would last maybe for a while, but they'd never last entirely. I don't think at some point they're going to get rushed by enough zombies. They just get taken out. Yeah. Or, like, stuff like Ellie had no idea what the game was when they first enter whatever city it is in the first chapter, and she's like, we have to help this guy, and Joel's like, he's not hurt, he's playing us. Mm -hmm. Like, Ellie, like, stuff like that, they have no idea. They have, yeah, this innocence, um, which, like, I feel like it's so, like, cliche to be like, the innocence is stolen, but, like, they do still have an innocence of just, like, kids who have grown up in a quarantine zone, and they haven't been out there where everything is even more intense and doggy dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that crash with the car is, I feel like, the first really big, like, wake-up call of how brutal the world is. Because you see the military in the first chapter off the bat being bad because they execute someone in the street. Yeah, but that's um, that's set aside. It's like, but that's almost, the military. We right. know the military's And bad. I almost feel like we're desensitized to seeing, oh, military has been bad. Like, we all watch the Hunger Games, okay? <laughs> and so, like, we're almost desensitized to that kind of shock. But then the scene where it's like this guy isn't even hurt and then they crash the car. They push a bus into the car to make it crash. Like, the lengths these people are going to to set up a trap to mm-hmm. get the two of them just because they're people traveling through the area yeah. is so much. And I feel like that is the first really big, like, wake-up call of, like, this game knows what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that they have... Like, just in general, it's a really cool look into what life is 
has become. Like, it's not about, like, you get the prologue uh, with, like, the zombie outbreak. But it's not about the zombie outbreak, and it's not even about, like, the world setting itself up right after the zombie outbreak. It is about, like, this is the world now. This is just the new normal. We're not going back. Like, the entire game leads up to you basically making the decision that you are never bringing humanity back from this. Yeah. Well, okay. Do you want to get into talking about, like, Joel's decision? Yeah, well, okay. I have intense feelings about it. Well, I was also, like, just saying that. I was like, that's actually a really cool idea for a game, because if the entire game is a look into, like, the new normal for humanity, and your end decision is, like, emphasizing that normal and making that normal permanent, like, Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting way to look at it, I think. Yeah. Well, and I feel like what this game does is it doesn't focus on these people live in a zombie world, but it focuses on this zombie world has changed these people. Because mm-hmm. it's not like flashy, flashy, ooh, zombies. Instead, it's like, look at what these people have become. Look at what this has done to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really interesting, like, different perspective to have because... That's what gives us such a complicated character as Joel is. Um, And ultimately, yeah, that leads to him, like, making a choice for all of humanity. Um, And not necessarily the choice that Ellie would have made herself. And he knows that, and that's why he lies to her. Um, And, but, like, even if you don't agree with the decision he's making, it's so... You understand it so deeply. Yeah. And that's so well done. I also... I really love that you don't get the choice. Like, no matter how you're feeling, you're gonna go through with it. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that it doesn't do... It's not like you get halfway through that cutscene and it's like, you have to shoot Marlene. It just does it. Yeah. Like, that's when they take the reins away from you, and they're like, we're not involving you in this, because this is just how it's going to be, and we don't Mm -hmm. want to put you in a situation where you hesitate because you don't agree with Joel. Like, you just have to in this moment. Right. Um, Because they're like, this is the ending you're getting. We don't care if you agree. You might (laughs) not agree with us for once at this point, but you are getting this ending. (laughs) And it's, I think it's really cool that, like, they had to have known they were going to have lots of players disagreeing with it. But I think it's cool, like, even, like, me, from the moment I watched this play, watched the Let's Play of this game, like, knew that I disagreed with what Joel was doing. Even though I'm pretty sure the uh, Let's Player I watched, the guy playing it, uh, completely agreed with what Joel was doing. I mean, you could say his name and give him the promo. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) So I watched the Let's Play of uh, Christopher Odd playing this, and, like, Christopher Odd is good. He is, yes, good. (laughs) <laughs> we need to start saying yes good again. We need to actually start saying yes good again. We forgot um, our own podcast title and why we made it. Uh, Christopher Odd is yes good. Um, highly recommend if you can't play The Last of Us and you still want to know what it, like, experience the story. He does a really good job of it. Um, but, yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, if I'm not, my apologies. Um, but he had a lot of, like, he was... Thoroughly for Joel stopping them. Basically, you get to the Fireflies, who are this group who are uh, going to do surgery on Ellie to reverse engineer a vaccine for the zombie plague. And because the zombie plague is on her brain, it will kill her. It will kill her. Um, So, like, Joel stops them and saves Ellie. And in doing so, he murders a fucking lot of Fireflies. And he murders the doctor who's about to operate on her. And all this stuff. And it's really interesting because there's a lot that goes into it. So the idea that she's, that they're going to reverse engineer a vaccine is given to you as, like, a fact and a certainty that they can do this. It's just going to cost her life. Whereas, like, we don't know that they can do that. They're guessing that they can do that. But, like, also, so, like, if you disagree with what Joel's doing, there's still the very good point of, like, we don't know for sure that, like, her death won't be in vain. And if you agree with Joel's what Joel's doing, there's still a very good point of, like, you just murdered one of the only, like, working doctors left in this world. And and, and the, there's so many complex issues, like, just kind of feeding into it bit by bit. And, like, and no matter what you do, you're gonna feel conflicted no matter how you feel mm-hmm. about it. You're just gonna feel off and desperate and, like, intense the entire time. Yeah. Knowing how I play games, if I'd been 
in control of Joel going through that last hallway and to the surgery room. I think I would have been one of the people who killed everyone in the room. Not out of some, like, brutality, but I would have just assumed I had yeah. to and wouldn't have had qualms with it. And then I would have gotten Ellie out of there and agreed with Joel doing that. Um, and then I would have been like, oh, but, like, humanity. And then I'd be like, there's someone else out there who's immune. And, like, told myself that because I would have mm-hmm. been like, but we gotta save Ellie. Yeah. And, like, that's what I probably would have ended up doing. Yeah. Well, and if you remember, I was, like, desperate to get to her. I was like, fuck off, you guys. Like, mm-hmm. really angry all the way up to there. And when I got there, I was just kind of like don't want to touch well, the other doctors. You even, wanna... like, abandoned your exploratory sort of nature once you realized what room yeah. she was in by the light. You just beelined for yeah. it. And I was like, Grace isn't exploring all the rooms in the hallway? Because there's a lot. There's, like, a little, yeah. like, offset there. And I was like, oh, shit, she's in there. Like, I have to get in there. Um, but then, like, once I got there, I was like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I, I have to avoid these people. I'm not going to look at the doctors. Like, I feel really bad that I had to kill the one doctor. Like, all that kind of thing, and I got, like, extremely timid again. So I think it's, like, really well designed that a lot of people are going to be constantly second-guessing themselves. Because if I remember right, Christopher Odd was sitting there kind of doing, like, a running monologue of, like, what's going on? Like, they don't know that they can make the vaccine. Like, this is wrong. I have to get to her. Like, I don't care what she would think. Joel would save her. Like, that kind of thing. So you're always kind of, like, trying to justify whatever you're feeling about it, because you don't get Mm -hmm. to make the decision. And so you're just, like, debating with yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I think part of it, too, is that even if you disagree with Joel, you know that you are going to have to play as Joel through this, and Mm -hmm. you are going to save Ellie, or at least, like, you're going to play Joel up to the point where it cutscenes you into whatever happens. Yeah. And you're going to play through Joel attempting to save Ellie. And so, people almost have to, like, convince themselves it's the right thing to do, because they need to play the game. They need to see how it ends. Mm -hmm. Like, your natural curiosity is saying, what's going to happen? How does this end? And so you have to, like, find a way to agree with Joel. I also think it's really interesting that, like, video games in general, and I really, really wish that, like, you had played or watched Life is Strange at this point, because I could tie this in very well to it. But video games in general have this thing, and, and stories in general, have this thing where, like, the goal at the end is either to save the world, especially in, like, a post-apocalyptic thing, or it's to save the person, whoever that person is. And the fact that this, like, you cannot do both in this game. And so you're going through this entire thing with the assumption that, like, this immune child is going to, change, like, save the world. Like, this, like, Tess tells you, and it, you convince Tommy that it's real, and everyone's just kind of like, Ellie is the cure for humanity. And you're being told that the entire way through. And then at the end, it just ends up with you taking that cure away. You've spent the last 15 hours fighting like hell to get the cure for humanity to the place where she can actually cure humanity. And then at the last minute, you take that back to do the other main objective of, like... Keep Ellie safe. Save the person. And it's really interesting that, like, those aren't the same goals. That you have to actually choose against one of them to beat the game Mm -hmm. I don't know it's just like fascinating for me and like really good storytelling because like how many tropes does that in itself twist on its head and like how much does it twist players expectations of like just kidding this game you don't get to save the world even though you're a badass hero like Mm -hmm. well and what's so interesting too is when they sweep the dream of saving the world out from under you it completely like changes the game because you go from like we're trying to save the world to I am playing through a minor storyline that happened in this world yeah because it doesn't have this giant cultural impact you then end up with being like we were just people living lives in a horrible world Mm -hmm. and it becomes a slice of life more so than a like big epic story because it's epic for them no matter what they've gone across the country they've done so much they took out like a gangy cult like they've done so much it's an epic journey for them it's not an epic tale of saving the world anymore though and that's what you're led to believe you're playing all along Mm -hmm. and that's so interesting considering the fact that like they originally said that joel and ellie's story ends with this and if Mm -hmm. they were going to make sequels they were still interested in this world but not joel and ellie and with that combined with the title of it being The Last of Us Part 2 rather than Last of Us 2 mm-hmm. really makes me think that, like, there could be 
dozens of games in this world that Naughty Dog wants to do. It's just that Joel and Ellie as a unit is done. Which also has me thinking of way more like speculations and theories for what part two is going to be like. But mm-hmm. uh, that's such an interesting thing that like, yeah, you go through the entire game thinking like you're going to save the world, but it's actually just like they're, they're part of it. And also like it flips the entire script of the game beyond that because you're back to playing as Ellie once that's done. And like the entire last little walkthrough bit of the game before you get to the final cutscene is, like, Joel is cheerful, and Joel is talking, and being, like, the playfulness of the game, and Ellie's just quiet mm-hmm. and moody. Well, think about how much, like, thinking that Joel's been lying to her the whole time from Utah back to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's eating her alive. Yeah. And so by the time that you see her just outside of Jackson like that, like, she's had months of wondering. And think about, like, the kind of anxiety that causes of just, like, worrying and worrying and worrying They did and drive. They did drive. That's true. They did So it was probably, like, a couple of days at most because she was also out because of I the mean, drugs. they would have run out of gas, though. They had the car up until the point at the end because the car breaks down in the woods and that's why you walk the last little bit. Oh, I missed that somehow. I just didn't remember. Yeah. Okay. But still, like, that's a lot of worrying. Yeah. And, and because- And she, she knows. And I know it's like a headcanon, not like canon canon, but like, she knows Joel's it's lying so to her. Accepting. And also the fact that like, even without the idea that Joel's lying to her, she was ready to die. And she was 100% willing to. And her whole thing where she's like, I'm still waiting for my turn. Like, she's dealing with survivor's guilt among everything else. But she really thought that, like, she was going to get to change the world and fix it. And never get to see it the way it was. And that was heartbreaking. And it's like, she had come to terms with her own death as a 14-year-old. And now that's just, like, one, that's not going to happen. And two, it's not going to happen because of the portrayal of the person she loves the most. Mm-hmm. It's like all she has is Joel, and she knows that he. Is, he's doing that parental thing of like I'm protecting you, but like it's not okay because the truth is yeah. at the heart of like how you're protecting them, um, and she knows that, and that hurts a lot. This poor kid. Yeah, she's been through a fuck. Ton. And they express all of that with a single word and a little bit of a head shake. The subtleties of this game, which are only possible because of the technology they were able to use when they made it, um, just really add so much to it. Because, like, you watch an older game try and do an emotional scene, and you're just like, are you serious right now? Because, like, there's no expression on the characters' faces. Like, they're just talking, and they're, like, stiff. And then being able to watch something like this. this. (laughs) But then being able to watch this have emotional scenes with, like, complex expressions on their Mm -hmm. faces is just, like... It's so cool. It's so, 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 so cool. The mocap on this game is so good. And I'm so excited because, like, whatever video, whatever YouTube video we watched that called The Last of Us, like, a swan song for the PS3, that's what The Last of Us Part 2 is going to be for the PS4. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited. It's going to be really good. (laughs) Can't handle it. So... All of the discussion that you just listened to is actually only part one of this podcast episode. The Last of Us part one? (laughs) Sorry. Um, Yes, good. (laughs) Um, So the second part of this podcast episode is going to be released in February around the time that The Last of Us part two comes out. You are also going to get part two of this podcast. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You like the color commentary. (laughs) Um, And so um, that second half of this episode is a lot more of our discussion of our predictions for part two, mm-hmm. our thoughts from the trailer, our discussion of the characterization going forwards. Um, so if you if you also hate living along a busy street, <laughs> um, so if you are interested in that, look forward to February and look forward to us discussing The Last of Us Part 2. And if you're not interested in that, uh, go watch or play The Last of Us and get interested in it so you can enjoy it along with us. Such a good game. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to <laughs> talk to us, uh, <laughs> if you want to talk to us, you can reach us on Twitter at YesGoodPodcast or via email 
uh, yesgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we both have personal Twitters as well. Mine is at Hey It's Amy J. That's A M Y J A Y. And mine is at Grace underscore Jessica, and that is Jessica with two A's. All right. Thanks for listening to us ramble about video games. This has been the Yes Good Podcast. Bye. Yes Good. Have a Yes Good day.